0: Welcome to this episode of the NCEA RISE podcast. NCEA RISE is our family of religion and community assessments, assisting schools and parishes in the advancement of Catholic identity and mission. I'm your host, John Galvan, and I serve as Vice President of Assessments for NCEA. Today, our guest is Jody Blanco. For the past two decades, since the release of her memoir, the New York Times bestseller, Please Stop Laughing At Me, Jodi has been traveling to schools and dioceses sharing her story to motivate change and has spoken to thousands of students, teachers and parents in hundreds of communities. Jodi is one of the first voices of the anti-bullying movement, guiding schools to a place of deeper tolerance, compassion, and hope. Jodi's anti-bullying program, INJJA, It's Not Just Joking Around, consists of age-appropriate live presentations, professional development, and SEL curricula. Welcome, Jody.
1: Hi, it's good to see you, old friend.
0: <laughs> yes, we. Yeah, well, you and I first crossed paths at an NCA convention several years ago. You were presenting to a packed house, and I was captivated <laughs> by your message and the energy, the passion, and just the the work that's gone into what you've been doing. And so, with that, we'll jump right in, Jody. Um, tell us a little bit about how you became the voice of America's bully, of America's bullied, and, and how did that lead to your current work?
1: You are so sweet to ask me that. You know, I was—I had a very successful career in the communications arena in PR. I owned a company. I was teaching it at two major universities, but I was always haunted by my school years. I was the kid who, from fifth grade through the end of high school, nobody wanted to be caught dead hanging out with and that those early years of bullying and rejection haunted me and i finally decided after columbine i really started to think about this and i thought you know the world really doesn't understand bullying no one's ever really talked about looking back as an adult so that's when i decided to write the book and john you know god has a sense of humor because In my wildest dreams, I never imagined that book would become a New York Times bestseller. I wanted to help kids, but I never imagined that God had a slightly bigger idea. So when that happened, I literally had hundreds of kids calling me, emailing me, begging me to help them. Some were as young as nine years old, and they were talking suicide because they were so lonely and isolated. So I gave up my career in PR and communications, at least in the corporate world. And I started replying to these cries for help one at a time, visiting schools. And over time, it just evolved into my INJA program. And for me, the motivation was to turn pain into purpose, to take all that pain that was, making me sick inside, and use it to help other kids and to help parents. So that's really what happened is I started implementing this anti, and at the time, I was the only real survivor out there utilizing my own experience to inspire change in schools. And since then, since those early days, that was over 20 years ago, my injury program has gotten really comprehensive. So I I do student presentations. I do faculty work, curricula. I work with parents on how to work in partnership with the school. My most popular PD is on how to handle parents who bully the school. So it's really become this whole comprehensive thing. And while I do INJA in public schools, the vast majority of schools that I work with nowadays are Catholic because I think my message of compassion and tolerance and forgiveness Resonates with Catholic school leaders, especially.
0: Absolutely, you know, Jody. I'm not surprised that your memoir received such such wide acceptance, and it it, it touched a nerve. I think that wasn't being addressed earlier. It made me think oh, of, yeah. you know, decades ago. You know, a little known rabbi Harold Kushner published a little book about why do good people suffer? If God loves us, why do good people suffer? And just blew up because people are interested. It resonates with, with where we live. And um, so based on your experience, Jody, I mean, your direct experience and in the the research and the work you've done um, what's at the heart of bullying and and how does this impact communities, including communities of faith? Like you said, most of your work now is in Catholic schools. There's a need there too. We try to teach virtue and responsible behavior, all of that. What's at the heart of it? and how does it impact communities
1: well what i always tell uh, what i always tell kids as well as adults is that you know the bully is not a bad kid there's there's no such thing as a bad child the I, bully is almost always a child in pain acting out in a cry for help and unless we address these cries with compassionate, restorative forms of discipline, they can turn into howls. And when they turn into howls, that's when we see our fabric erode in our schools. And where it's really significant, especially at the Catholic school level, and I see this all the time, is you'll have a kid who's being bullied or just invisibilized by a group of other kids, okay? And so the parents of the target the parents of the victim, their whole focus is on appropriate punishment for the bully. So everybody is focused on appropriate punishment for the bully. And while we want to address that, oftentimes the child who's being bullied or being left out is suffering from this horrible loneliness. They feel as if no one understands them. That's where they need their Catholic faith. That's where they need to know that they're not alone. That's where the adults have to come on board and say, we'll find you a new activity outside of school where you can make new friends with new faces. What interests do you have? Do you like anime? Do you like art? Why don't you start a club at school? Let's help you find new ways to connect with your peers. And then working with the parents of the bullies and the victims on joining together in partnership and implementing compassionate forms of discipline. Because the old forms of discipline usually only make angry kids angrier and an insensitive kid more insensitive. So Mm -hmm. where I find the Mm -hmm. biggest myth about bullying is that so many parents believe it's personal against their child and it's not. And if the parents of the victims can recognize that that bully needs love and support and compassionate discipline, and if the parents of the bullies can work in partnership with these other parents in an environment of forgiveness and love, not only are we inspiring those very core Catholic values that motivated us to put our kids in Catholic school to begin with, But we're deepening our own core Catholic values and we're growing as a school family. So that's really the work I do is I go into schools and I see where there's so much emotion and there's so much miscommunication that even though our intentions are good, the love and the faith and the forgiveness are being lost in the moment of temper and hurt and I try to bring those values back to the fore and use them as tools to navigate plans of action that heal everyone.
0: That's awesome, and and you're probably familiar with the work that's being done in restorative justice as an alternative, mm-hmm. you know, an, an alternative method of dealing with these kinds of issues on a school level. It's really heart to heart, person to person, um, because there's often, like you said, the bully is often as misunderstood as the one who's bullied in many ways. And, you know, to get into, you know, uh, I was doing a little bit of digging this morning and, and looking at some of the statistics prior to the pandemic and post pandemic with regard to children's mental health and social emotional health. And it's, it's really staggering. Yeah. I was looking at, there was a, a coalition uh, that was comprised of the American Academy of Pediatrics, Children's Hospital Association, the American Academy of Child and Adolescent uh, Psychiatry. Together, this coalition represented 77,000 physicians and 200 children's hospitals. And in October of 2021, the group said that the rates of childhood mental health concerns were already steadily rising over the past decade, which we were all aware of. But But the pandemic, as well as the issue of racial inequality, as they wrote, exacerbated all those oh, yeah. challenges, right? Um the American Psychological Association, they did a 2020 survey right, you know, right when the pandemic was was breaking, um, 71% of these parents said that the pandemic had taken a, a toll on their, their child's mental health. 69% said the pandemic was the worst thing that ever happened to their child. And in a national survey, 3,300 high schoolers conducted in spring of 2020 Found a close found close to a third of these students felt unhappy and depressed more than usual, and so I, what I want to turn to is, you know, how do you get your finger on the pulse of all that? I've I, I've often said around our work with NCA Rise, our our assessments for uh, religious education and community health is you can't grow what you don't measure, right? And so with that, why do you think it's important? Right, yeah. Why do you think it's important to assess? Um, You and I, prior to the podcast, we were talking about, you know, why ACRE and the IFG, the belonging x, why they're so important, not just to know what our kids know about the faith, but what's going on underneath all that, their feelings, their beliefs, their perceptions. Maybe can you address that, the need to assess?
1: Yeah, I, yeah, and I I want to talk about um, ACRE, RISE and ACRE and IFG and belonging, because I... Not only do I do I think it's important, I'm living it every day. And and let me tell you what I mean. In so many schools where I go to, even the most well-intentioned loving of Catholic schools, they if they're not measuring, if they're not measuring faith formation, if they're not measuring where their students are at in terms of their personal relationship with God. You see, if you're a bullied student or if you're just a student, what I call an invisible student, the kid who would fit under that belonging index because they, they just, they disappear into the woodwork. Right. It's that child who may not be bullied per se, may not be even intentionally excluded. They just don't feel this sense of belonging or family within that school environment. well, if that child is struggling, religion and religious education, it can't just be theory and nice stories. And Jesus did this. And, you know, the apostles did this. It's got to be personal. It's got to be a deep emotional resource and reservoir for strength. These kids have to make the leap between what they're studying in religion and how it can help them navigate the storm and not feel alone. From the perspective of the bully, there are two types of bullies in a school. The, the You have the normal bully just who picks on everyone, and then you have the elite tormentor. That's the mean popular kid who uses their popularity to wield influence, often negatively. Their wonderful kind counterpart is the elite tormentor, or the elite leader. I'm sorry, the elite leader. Well, if you've got the bully or the elite tormentor behaving in ways that are unkind, often they don't even recognize it. I go and do my student presentations and a lot of these kids come up to me in tears after and say, oh my gosh, I never knew that just not sitting with someone at lunch or just not smiling back at someone could be so hurtful and they want to make amends. That's Mm -hmm. where measuring It's faith formation is so important because, you know, they look at the big stories and they and they look at the larger questions of their faith. But how do you take what you're learning in religion, the physical nuts, nuts and bolts of what you're learning and use it to create comfort in your own heart when you need Jesus as your friend? Right. And and to recognize when you need to be more like Jesus because you may be hurting someone. So measuring this, so many schools don't measure it, but it's critical.
0: You know, Jody, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about the, you know, the proverbial distance, you know, between the head and the heart. And you and I know as adults, um, we could probably identify right. that time in our life where, that, you know, that intersection crossed where, you know, our head and our heart. And I've, I've said this before, uh, when I was in seminary. Uh, studying for the Diocese of San Diego to become a priest, which, you know, actually that discernment process process led me into Catholic education. Um, I, I was, I wanted, you know, I wanted my head in this case, my head to understand what my heart was feeling, but for many kids, like you just said it, it's, they have all the cognitive knowledge, but it's not penetrating where it matters most. I mean, you know, the Lord tells us, you know, right. to, he wants to, you know, break our stony hearts and give us hearts of flesh hearts that can feel, that can be compassionate and all that. So I think that's a good, speaking of bridges, I think that's a great bridge to talk about solutions, right? What? So we're all very aware of the challenges and what we face within the culture and climate of Catholic schools and, and within our parishes or schools everywhere. I mean, anybody that works with children are bound to come across these challenges. What are some of the solutions? Um, what's a solution to finding deeper tolerance, compassion, And hope for our kids based on your work and your experience
1: well i think i think the most important thing above and beyond all of it and it's so basic human connection if you're a teacher or a principal it's about connecting on a human level with your students allowing them to see you as a whole person a vulnerable real genuine whole person and that connection. And also, you know, I say this in schools, and and I see so many people nod their heads. Sometimes privacy is overrated. I always tell schools, Mm. you're a school family, not a school community, you're a family. So if you're a parent, and you know that your child's been behaving unkindly towards other classmates, but you also know it's because there's been so much going on at home and you're overwhelmed, instead of trying to carry that by yourself, talk to your pastor, talk to the school principal, say, listen, I know my child's behaving badly and I'm not making excuses, but I need love and support too. Please, can you set up a meeting with the parents of the kids that my child hasn't been so kind to lately? because I want to talk to them. I need their love and support. I want us to work together in partnership so we can all support each other. And that's where I think the when you talk about solution, and I always tend to use the term plan of action because mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: plan of action is about what we can do together in partnership in the here and now to change or improve the situation. And it It's about connection and being open, open with each other and asking for help when you need it. And also, it's also about, and I see this all the time in schools, is that sometimes the most disruptive student, the one who causes you the most hair-pulling moments is also the student who has the kindest heart and is the most inclusive. And sometimes the student gets the best grades, who always respects their elders, always turns on their homework on time, is often the student who may be excluding others the most. So you have to look beyond the immediate of a student, deeper into their hearts. And for anyone who's listening to us, as I know teachers and principals listen a lot, curiosity leads to compassion. If you've got a student who's behaving badly, always disrupting class or excluding others or being uncharacteristically mean-spirited, be curious, try to find out as much as you can. When I was in seventh grade, this kid, Jerry, was horrible to me. He picked on the special ed students he, he, whom I would defend and then Jerry would turn his ire on me And one day after school, he got a group of kids to hold me down in a snowstorm and pummel me with snowballs. Then he yelled, let's tickle her. Everybody's laughing. And those snowballs started going in my shirt and in my mouth, down my ears, to the point that my lips started to turn blue. I started gasping for breath and they ran off and left me there. My family was so furious, as was I, we insisted that he get suspended for a week. Nobody asked any questions, nothing. When he returned from that suspension, he was malnourished looking and sick looking. No one even noticed at the time. I found out 30 years later, the night of my school reunion, that he was mean to a lot of kids that semester, Mm -hmm. because that was the same semester, his mom up in the family. So he was stealing food from the school cafeteria to feed his younger siblings. When he got suspended, he lost that extra food source. So he fed them on what little was left and he went without. How I wish I could go back to seventh grade. He didn't need to be suspended. He needed a compassionate form of discipline and he needed help. So for all the teachers who are listening, for all the principals who are listening, I'm not saying that if a bully is mean, that you should let them get by with it. But be curious get to the source of what is causing that child to act out in a cry for help and answer that cry and encourage your parents to do the same when you talk about you know measuring our catholicity and when you mm. talk about ifg and rye and acre and you talk about assessing all this stuff there's a reason we want to assess it and not just because we want to talk about how wonderful we are but right. because the more information we know, the more we can contour what we're doing to answer all the cries for help, including those from parents.
0: Absolutely. Jody, that, that you said a lot there. A couple things that made me think of one is um, and everything you're saying, the research supports it, right? All of the work around disaffiliation, all, all of that says that the single greatest, you know, variable, impactive uh, variable in turning kids around is that they've got a trusted adult somebody that they can they can turn to and talk to and connect with i've i've chaired a, a number of catholic high school accreditations over the years and i find the healthiest schools are the ones where you t- you said it it's not just a, a it's not just an academic community it's a family of faith and learning where those kids and those adults right. they they're connected and they all resonate around that school's mission they understand it and they live it and you know i I was thinking about you know just last night my my 12 year old daughter she grabbed my phone and she was playing a game or something and she was looking at my calendar she says how come every day you have a a morning reminder that says it's a it's a it's a statement from god john love my people you know god i said because that's that's what we're charged to do, we're charged to love people. And as a former school administrator, um, I would often you know, say to our teachers, we don't know, every, and I would say this to my students as well in room 208 you know, at, in, at, the, at the high school, <laughs> we don't know every day when we all come from our respective places all over the county, I and mean, the Catholic schools draw from multiple communities and regions, some families go really far to attend a Catholic school. We don't know what's going on in the lives of those people when they pass our threshold every day, whether it's the school gate or the classroom. I have no idea, and nor nor does anybody else. But, like you said, we need to lean in and listen and pay attention. And with that, Jody, you know, got, well, I told you twenty minutes was going to go by really fast. That's that's how you and I roll.
1: <laughs> I could run <remember> forever. <laughs>
0: Um, Post convention, I do encourage any of you um, to reach out to Jody if anything that we've shared today resonates. And with that, Jody, I always give uh, I always give my guests the last word. If you you know you're on the top of the Eiffel Tower, you have a million watt <laughs> megaphone uh, live stream to people in the, you know what what do you, what's your message to everybody? Your parting words.
1: Lead with compassion for every teacher who's listening, for every principal, every counselor, every librarian, for everyone who's listening, for some of the kids in your schools, for some of your students, you may be the only stable, loving adult in their lives. Just because you have a student who's getting everything they want at home doesn't mean they're getting anything they need. So on the days when you feel burnt out, on the days when you feel like you can't deal with the standardized testing and the budget cuts and everything else, I want you to remember that you are so much more than educators. You are each and every one of you guardian angels. And so when you feel burnt out, you reach back and you feel your wings and you grasp them tightly. And don't let anyone or anything tether those wings or cut them because for some of your students, those wings are their only hope to soar.
0: Oh, God bless you, Jody. You, you inspired me, and I know you've inspired our listeners. I think it'd be appropriate if you and I end with a prayer for our kids. What do you, what do you say? I'd love it. Okay, so for all of you listening, uh, please join us. We are always in the ever presence of a loving God, and so we pray, God, you've given us these children and committed them to our charge to bring them up for you and to prepare them for everlasting life. Assist us with your heavenly grace that we may be able to fulfill this most sacred duty and stewardship. Teach us both what to give and what to withhold, when to reprove and when to forbear. Make us gentle yet firm, considerate and watchful and deliver us equally from the weakness of indulgence and the excess of severity and grant that by both word and example, we may be careful to lead them in the ways of wisdom and true holiness so that we may with them at last be admitted to the unspeakable joys of our true home in heaven in the company of the holy family and all the blessed angels and saints. Amen. Jody, thank you so much. Uh, We want to thank you Jody Blanco, one of the first voices of the anti-bullying movement, for being our guest today. And thank you for listening to this episode of the NCEA Rise podcast. NCEA Rise is our family of religion and community assessments, assisting schools and parishes in the advancement of Catholic identity and mission. To learn more about NCEA Rise, go to www.ncearise.org. To find out more about Jody Blanco and her work, in our catholic schools visit www.jodieblanco that's j o d e e blanco b l a n c god bless all of you for all you do for all those you serve